Welcome to Happy Times and Places, a positively charged Doctor Who podcast in which I, the Z-list Doctor Who bore Toby Haydock, get a special guest to choose a story for me and to nominate their favourite things about it, and I have to guess what those favourite things are. Uh, well, welcome. Uh, we're still in lockdown. We're still in cold storage. I have an ice-cold, non-alcoholic uh, lager. Ice cold because uh, I brought it from a chill centre that seemed to be run by a load of Nazis um, whose parents all liked classic film criticism. Uh, and with that in mind, uh, let's try to watch a story that has been... So now, this is curious because, in fact, what I'll do is I think I'll get my guest, who I haven't spoken to yet, who's told me the story via email... And I'm now going to go forward in time and speak to them because they want to do this as a as a two-way chat rather than them doing a monologue to camera. So uh, I'm going to speak to my special guest who actually worked on the show, worked on these episodes unusually, to tell us why this is the one that he has chosen. So I'm going to go forward in time to a bit that hasn't happened yet. Okay, so I am Andrew Cartmel. For my sins, I scripted the Doctor Who. I did all of the Sylvester stuff, all of the Seventh Doctor. So I did three years of Who, uh, and it was fantastic. And there is going to be a, a Blu-ray release of a box set of season twenty-four. So I, uh, because I'm being interviewed for some of these, I rewatched season twenty-four, uh, except for uh, Time of the Rani, but that's another story. Uh, and I was very struck by Dragonfire. I was surprisingly pleased with all, with Dragonfire, uh, Paradise Towers, and Dalton the Bannermen, because they were early works, if you know what I mean. I was just getting started, just finding my way forward. But I was surprised, really, at how much I enjoyed all of them, especially Dragonfire, and especially because of the quality of writing of Ian Briggs. So, thank you, me from the future, I hope I was well. Uh, and thank you to Andrew, who's given us his reason. So, unusually for this, what I'll do is I'll watch the episode and I will nominate my thing. Uh, and I'm going to watch, but I'm going to watch all the story through and nominate my things. And then tomorrow, uh, I'm going to do a chat with my special guest and they're going to tell me. So, there's no way I can cheat. I mean, I haven't been cheating and I, I, I wouldn't cheat. But uh, you can be rest assured because... Uh, there's no way I know what my special guest will choose because uh, I, I, I don't have, I don't even have the raw footage, which will be captured via Zoom uh, in the next day or so. So with that in mind, I'm flying totally blind, apart from to know that my special guest, Andrew Cartmel, wants me to watch a story he worked on, Dragonfire, and I have the DVD in. So in whatever medium you are watching it, please, please press play now see I, I, I actually moved my blu-ray player to, to make it easier for me but I'm still pointing at where it used to be ha <laughs> uh, uh, it's a blu-ray yes and DVD, DVD player this is on DVD uh, the title sequence is looking gorgeous uh, obviously this is the title sequence I was I was alive when this was on. This is this is I watched these episodes go out as broadcast, uh, and it was 
terribly exciting. Although I haven't seen Dragonfire for quite a long time. I have to be honest. Uh, this is a season I've not revisited a lot and have struggled with in the past. But this was... I had a really soft spot for Paradise Towers and I will explain why when we do that. But this this was the this was the voted the best story of the season. This was certainly the one which was felt to be sort of more like traditional Doctor Who. Um, and this is a I really like this opening. I was thrilled that Tony Osoba was uh, was was back, although I I hadn't really realised uh, 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 that he'd been Lan in Destiny of the Daleks. I knew him as an actor in other things. He was Chaz in Dempsey and Makepeace, and he was in Porridge, and he cropped up in Bergerac. Uh, and this is Sean Blowers, who uh, at around this time he he looked like an actor that you knew from things, and I I, I don't think he did, but almost at exactly the same time uh, he 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 did London's Burning and and became a regular and I think the head of the the fire department in London Burning London's Burning was a hugely popular show. Um, so so it seemed like they got him sort of early or concurrently or so. And one of the other extras in the queue of mercenaries is Ray Knight. Now the reason Ray Knight is important, he's the the bald the, the bald red-headed one there. The reason Ray Knight is important is because he actually was the head of the extras agency. I love the I love the guns. I love that because they actually fire a thing. That that's a really neat effect. That's a really neat effect because it suggests sort of laser bullets. And I don't know how they did that. It looks really cool. Um but yeah, Ray, Ray Knight was the head of the Ray Knight Ag Extras Agency. He was the barman in Avwida's Aim Pet, um, which which meant he occasionally got a credit, but he was a non-speaking character. But uh, yeah, I discovered later he also supplied a lot of the extras. So clearly, if he fancied a job as well, he went, yeah, I've got uh, I've got uh, I've got the six extras you want. Uh, there's Jim, John, and there's one that looks and sounds a bit like me. Um, so not a big part for Sean Blowers, although he makes a decent account of himself, and that's really chilling. Quite literally. But that's a great way to introduce the villain um, and his thing, what he does, which is freeze people to death with his hands uh, and then put his gloves back on. Uh, I love Edward Peel in this. Um, and that's a nice model shot of the, of the planet I like. Um, so, yeah, this seemed more like what Doctor Who should be trying to do to me at the time you know um <laughs> i have to say setting it in a freezer center uh is is not the, sort of what i recall when i think of this being the one that you know was doing what doctor who should have been doing which is which is you know being scary and having aliens and uh, and and having villains who are a bit like nazis i believe kane was originally called hess wasn't he um but the name was changed less the incarcerated war criminal Rudolf Hess was somehow offended. I don't know. Um, and and now this is interest. This is where I, I wonder how I'll take this. As I say, I haven't seen this for a long time. I was delighted Glitz was back. I'd loved Glitz in uh, Trial of a Time Lord, um, and and was very pleased when he came back at the end of that. And so was thrilled. Uh, when when he returned for this, it gives a nice bit of continuity with the previous season. Tony Selby had done an absolutely fantastic job, uh, and he's got a lot of charisma, uh, a lot of roguish charm, great costume, uh, great 
uh, Zizzy Space Sideburns. Uh, I always was rather sad that he never brought Dibber back. Dibber, played by Glenn Murphy, who was at around this time in London's Burning with Sean Blowers. London's Burning was a big show at the time as well. So it's largely forgotten now, but it was it was hugely successful. And I was delighted Patricia Quinn was in it because I'd got into the Rocky Horror Show, which was quite a risque thing to be into when I was whatever age I was, 1987 this was, so I was 13. Uh, and the Rocky Horror Show was about as naughty as it got, but also it had lovely music and it was a horror pastiche and it was a sort of culty thing and, and, and we somehow got hold of the video and we got a we got a, a a a record of it as well not sung by the original cast some weird rocky horror sing-along thing not not a sing-along but uh, anyway it doesn't matter um but patricia quinn was magenta uh, so again when she was announced as being in doctor who that was very uh, it's it's quite an eccentric performance she gives um, because you think of magenta in rocky horror and she's a bit, and you go, oh, she's giving it sort of Transylvanian. Vi- oh, no, she plays everything like that. <laughs> and I think she's quite a character. She was married to Sir Robert Stevens, who uh, was uh, in the Box of Delights with Patrick Troughton, who was Aragorn in the BBC's radio's Lord of the Rings. Uh, so she had all sorts of reasons why she was an exciting uh, reason to be in uh, Doctor Who. Uh, and she's flanked by Stuart Organ and Stephanie Fairman. Stuart Organ was in everything at around this time as well. He was Harry Cross's son in Brookside, and I don't know if he joined Grange Hill at this time or was just about to. But again, he seemed whoever his agent was, he was he was popping up everywhere. Uh, although him and Stephanie Fairman don't have any lines in this episode, I don't think. They're a bit like there's a couple of characters in Delta and the Bannermen who were in it. Uh, who get a credit in episodes one and two but one of them doesn't say a line and it turns up in this as the creature leslie meadows and one of them has one line and you do sort of go for for a show that has to be budget conscious you're 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 paying some actors full whack to to hang around not saying stuff they're both uh tony asoba's uh uh also turned up more recently in kill the moon so he's one of those that has been in classic who and old who and I've been to his house, uh, and he's had a really interesting career. Uh, my, oh, Edward Peel knows how to play a Doctor Who villain. Um, I love the way the in the space canty. I, I don't know how I feel about the fact that this is trying to be, in the mind's eye of its creators, this was why don't we do the Star Wars cantina on Doctor in Doctor Who. Um, and between that brilliant idea and the budget and the design department, I haven't really noticed the the fruit shapes adorning the back of the bar because, of course, because it's a program that has to be suitable for children. It's a bar that serves milkshakes, and I, I was never sure about that as a as a child. I thought at least do a pan, you know, some space booze, you know, call it a pangalactic gargle blaster or whatever. But but milkshake, um, uh, you're you're not going to wait the Star Wars cantina doing uh, d- selling milkshake. Although it does mean that uh, everyone gets to go to sort of town, um, dressing the extras in the back with costumes that presumably have previously been in, in other episodes of Doctor Who and Blake Seven and things. I do like the um, the look of the villains in there. You know the, the 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 white costumes work because of the ice, of course. 
but there's also the sort of Nazi stormtrooper thing going on. Uh, it's it's interesting how we we always there is the, the the sort of Nazi iconography that great Mitchell and Webb sketch. We're the bad guys, but it, it the Nazi you know menace does infuse our popular culture, and in a way that makes it a sort of subliminal warning. Um, Edward Peel's got very smoky, burny eyes, hasn't he? And I remember at the time, the director Chris Clough said when when the casting was announced, uh, you know, there, there was always there was, there was a sort of cold coldness, a granite-like uh, aspect to his his, his face, uh, and a sort of coldness to his stare that uh, that had that had attracted him to to uh, Edward Peel and the casting of Edward Peel, and 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 it is, it, and he'd be, he was well known for being the chief in in Juliet Bravo at this uh, at this time. Uh, Uh, yes, he. I mean, I'm not sure also how I feel about the fact that um, Glitz uh, is a lovable rogue. Yes, who's who's won a won a treasure map in a card game. He's a lovable rogue who has sold his crew. Um, they never quite rationalise this because it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't originally Glitz, was it? It was a different character, and they they turned it into Glitz, which I think was a great move. Um, but. But I don't think you can be a lovable rogue and sell your crew to be deep frozen and turned into um, cadaverous ice mercenaries. Sophie Aldred, uh, a true legend of uh, Doctor Who, uh, a fabulous, fabulous person. Uh, uh, and I, I, she'd done a Doctor Who convention at this time. So I'd actually met her on one of two Doctor Who conventions I went to. And I remember Tony Selby was there as well and he signed my thing and, and I waited and I waited. And uh, and then he said, have I done you? I said, yeah, I'm just, just waiting for my pen. He said, is that literally what you're waiting for? And I mean, I was only young. I was, come on, Mr. Selby. I, I, wanted, I needed my pen because I, I didn't want to bump into a Who person in the corridor and not have a pen for them to sign my thing with. So yes, it was literally what I was waiting for. Um, Sabalom Glitz. And, uh, and of course I kept it was only a sort of normal biro and I kept that biro for a very long time because I thought well it's been touched by various Doctor Who luminaries uh, you don't throw things like that away may not seem important now but that's what they said about Fury from the Deep and, and now look but, but uh, that pen has since I'm afraid been erased from the Haydock archives it's a it's a it's a nice sort of human subplot that poor old Balage oh and the names yes but Balage has this sort of subplot of, of something has gone on with her and Kane although if I've seen what his hands do to people I don't, don't quite know what happens uh, if the temperature if the temperature rises high enough south of the belly button anyway um, but this is I, li I like this subplot um and, and I love the way he uses his hands uh, and, and the way indeed she does uh, where she sort of pulls away um, yeah I'm, I'm not sure how that works as a contract but it's a, it's a great it's a great image the image of you know being burnt by ice and I'm sure that Glitz's spacecraft have it destroyed I'm sure that was in the trailer because uh, I used to tape the trailers at this point on ya cheap Yashima videotapes that I'd bought that probably disintegrated by now. Um, and I, I seem to... 
Oh, and Shirin Taylor, I was delighted, was in this because she was in everything during the 80s uh, and has a lovely dusky voice. This isn't the sort of character she normally plays. Um, and her and Tony Selby and Tony Asoba are all mates and they all live quite close to each other. She's, she's done loads of work, Shirin Taylor, and I was, remember being quite surprised that she was playing a part, A, a part that was like this, uh, and B, a part that's not actually that that huge a part. Although her other Doctor Who part is not huge because she's, uh, she's one of the two campers who gets absorbed by the Ogri in uh, the, the, the Stones of Blood. Um, and this guy, Ian McKenzie, I'm sure he in the stage he wrote the obituary of the guy that played Hector in The Myth Makers, Alan Haywood. There's a piece of trivia that you will get from no other podcast <laughs> a, a reminder to self don't just talk about the actors um ah well no there is an element to this story that i absolutely adore that i, I, I like the plastic bags that's not that's not the element um but yes and i also shirin taylor is credited as customer and i remember when it was announced that she was going to be one of the guest stars and it said you know uh, uh, Patricia Quinn, Bellage, Tony Asoba, Krakauer, um, Shirin Taylor, Customer. I was going, is, is perhaps that's a, is it Customer? No, no, it's it's literally just Customer. Um, I think I think I'd have got my agent to say, can she be called Jane the Customer? Uh, or as it's um, film, they're all named after film uh, uh, practitioners or, or um, uh, 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 critics, aren't they? Well, f f film film analysts. Film theorists, a lot of the characters uh, are named after, aren't they? So perhaps she, perhaps she should have been called Barry Norman. <laughs> um, but what, what I, I actually, I, I like the naming policy in this because Krakauer and Bellage, uh, Podovkin, uh, they're, they're, they have a consistency, even though. I they come from disparate sources, but but they also are really interesting on the on the mouth and on the ear and and, and give it its own own feeling. Um, and and Ace is a refreshing change from Mel, although I'm very well disposed to Bonnie Langford these days, and I was very angry with her as a youth, and I'm uh, because of what she represented, um, and I th I think the media and we as a country have been quite beastly to somebody who is a national treasure uh, uh, who is Bonnie Langford who is a very very skilled and able performer um, I don't think she's particularly well served by Mel um, and, and her certainly her image at the time was of somebody that it was it was easy to be lazily cruel about as and you know I, I have less patience for lazy cruelty um, dispensed at the expense of people whose uh, main sin seems to be to try their very best to entertain us uh, I, th I think there are people for whom we could reserve our ire who are perhaps more deserving of it. Um, and Bonnie Langford is, was great in EastEnders and she's brilliant on stage and she's very lovely. Um, uh, but, but, but certainly Ace is a, is, is a, is a, is a, is a worthy attempt to sort of, you know, modernize the, the Doctor Who the companion. I don't think a lot, some of her dialogue is, Age, I say it hasn't aged well. I, mm, I'm not not sure it was in, in particularly fine fettle uh, when it was born, uh, and 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 I th and I think she's better when they try not to to ripen her dialogue. Um, hard to do these sets. I, I like the lighting in this actually, and I love that. That's a great moment when Glitz chops the map 
and, uh, <laughs> and the doctor does that. I like little bits like that, but I think I think you have to be absolutely therefore deadly serious the the, the rest of the time. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, this this is she and she announces herself, doesn't she, by going, uh, "Okay, I've got these." Although that deodorant is very unwieldy uh, to hold that and spray your armpits at the same time would be very difficult. Uh, <laughs> but I, it's a great way of. Uh, of announcing what your that your new companion is not quite like you know song and dance lady uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Bonnie Langford, but is a delinquent arsonist. <laughs> and it's a credit to Sophie Aldred that she has a likability that cuts through what would otherwise be quite alarming. Um, <laughs> And I love the I love the scenes in here, um, and and helped very much by I what I am I going to choose I'm going to choose it for one episode and I don't know which one Dominic Glynn's music which I think is absolutely superb and I'm not just saying that because he's done the score for one of the other podcasts that I'm doing at the moment called Indefinable Magic where I muse on mm, arcane things inspired by Doctor Who. This is actually a very nice set, uh, augmented by that photo backdrop uh, and the fact that there's a bit of colour in the ice. Uh, yeah, I, I think that works very well. It's a shame. Nowadays, of course, you'd give, you'd give everybody, uh, and it wouldn't be so difficult to do. In fact, I think there's a company that do it. Uh, you'd give people cold, cold breath. And I think there's a company. I remember once saying on, on an episode of Inspector Morse, somebody credited as footsteps editor. I think, oh, well, how do you how, how do you decide that what you want to what, the, what you're going to be the doyen of is editing the sound of footsteps? But there's also a company whose you know main line of business is to add cold breath to uh, scenes that cold breath has not shown up in in the movies because uh, it was never there or, or the conditions weren't right or, or whatever. Um, she it's funny I always thought of uh, Patricia Quinn as being quite tall I think because Magenta in the Rocky Horror Show is very vampish but she's actually she's uh, she's not of great stature um, but she's got a great presence um, and I'd very much I've never met her I'd, I suspect I'd be terrified of her <laughs> but she seems like quite a character um and, and I think when when her and Robert Stevens were were together on shoots, it was uh, it was quite a lark. Um, uh, and Sylvester McCoy, gamely uh, and sometimes ill-advisedly, do, doing slidey acting. I admire the intent there. This double level set is actually excellent, uh, and, and and having the actors positioned up there to give a sense of scale. Uh, is really good. I really like this main set, actually. I mean, I think it's a it's an impossible task designing uh, an ice centre, and you can see there they've done it with some white curtains. Um, uh, and actually, you can see the edge of the sort of the edge of the uh, the thing that it's that it's hanging off. Um, but I. Uh, this is but this is great scene this is a great scene uh 
and and it, and it and it showcases you know why you go why have these people followed Kane because he's sort of mesmerizing uh uh, and and it's played brilliantly and and it's staged brilliantly and she's great. Sophie Aldridge is brilliant in this scene because she, you can tell she's sort of you can't even see Mel because it's she's good enough actress Sophie Aldridge that you, you know you, it's it's on her face and you're seeing everything that's going on there and you've got Mel sort of as a noise is off uh, and the the music is 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 pulling you in. This is an excellent scene, freezer, great scene, um, but actually uh is she tempted because it turns out that uh <laughs> freeze don't freeze that's great um and he and you know and he doesn't let up with his villainous acting stuff so w w when she's being being all sort of thuggish uh, uh and and modern as it were he's he's keeping it entrenched in the sort of you know sci-fi theatrics that was a great scene that might be my choice i might save dominic glynn's music for a later installment but dominic glynn's music is excellent in every uh every story that he does i, I really like dominic glynn's music i don't know <laughs> this is great i know i'm supposed to be being positive throughout this but this the, this cliffhanger is one of the stupidest moments in the entire history of Doctor Who and I remember it finishing because this was really hugely plugged as, as much as it could ever was at the time of this was the 150th Doctor Who story so this was quite big news and I think a few of my friends at school did tune in because there'd been a bit of extra and the monster looks good in this in this episode because we we haven't seen how tall he isn't um, and that's a that's a great shot of the of the monster, but couldn't could they have dubbed the Doctor saying something like I need to get down to that ledge below? There is no explanation, visual or vocal, as to what the hell he's doing now. So, ev all of my school friends who tuned in to watch the hundred fiftieth episode of Doctor Who watched an episode that ended with the Doctor actively getting himself into jeopardy. Uh, and it's it's a great shot, uh, and it's and it's well rendered, but it's <laughs> it's nonsense. I've got to. This is terrible. I've got to phone. I've got to speak to Andrew Cartmel um, t tomorrow or the day after uh, 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 on a celebratory thing. Uh, and, I, and, I've, and I've just finished it by saying that's really. <laughs> Silly, but it is really silly. I cannot deny. I have to be positive, but also I'm, you, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not mentally ill. <laughs> I, 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 I cannot, uh, I, I, I cannot say that that cliffhanger is anything other than utterly baffling. Um, now I know that they, what they'd wanted to suggest that was a ledge that he was trying to climb down to. That is not clear. With the best will in the world, that is not clear doesn't matter so um doesn't matter um because there was plenty in that to enjoy and uh and i and i think uh chris chris clough was uh, i mean i think all the directors this year actually work work their socks off again i have i love paradise towers but we'll talk about that when somebody sets it for me and they haven't yet and i'm doing an embargo on McCoy stories because everyone was choosing them and uh, I've only done one Hartnell and the McCoy era was being eaten up but Andrew Cartmel of course has to choose 
uh, one that he worked on. Well, he doesn't, but I think we get a better we get a better insight. I think we'll hopefully get some bonus content by having direct from Andrew's mouth what it is he loves about this. So I've got to not do the uh, the, the 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 thing where I, I I concentrate on the bit that doesn't work because there's plenty that did in that. Uh, I think I will choose the scene where Kane tries to get Ace to take the coin because I think that well I love that set I love the music I love the performances uh, and I think the whole scene is rendered uh, extremely well so that's what I've chosen I've no idea what Andrew's chosen so let's go forward to the future uh, and I'll chat to Andrew Cartmel. Um, okay Andrew you don't know this I don't know what you're going to say I have chosen my favourite things. That that is committed to camera. I cannot lie. So I've written them down, <laughs> so so that I can't cheat. So when you go, I've chosen the third icicle on the left. I go, yeah, I've got that. Um, so I have chosen my favourite thing from episode one. Uh, so what is your favourite thing from episode one of Dragonfire? And oh, why? Well, I have not broken it down by episode, but I guess if we're going to say episode one. It's going to have to be. Uh, Sophie Aldred, because she's going to be in there somewhere and she makes her first appearance as Ace in episode one of Dragonfire, so that's got to be there. Ah, well, mine mine sort of includes her, but uh, I chose I chose the coin scene. The coin scene, because I just thought everybody in that scene was firing at all cylinders uh, from Sophie, who I think acts it brilliantly. You don't actually see Bonnie Langford, but her presence there is really important, sort of trying to you know, drag Ace to the good side, and Edward Peel is so amazing, of course. This is take the king's shilling scene, yeah. basically. Yeah. I like sell your soul to the devil scene. Yeah. Eddie Peel as, as Kane. Uh, I love the bad guys. The thing about, I mentioned the quality of Ian Briggs' writing. I've always praised Ian for the, the depth and nuance of his characterization. And if you look at this, the bad guys have all got something going on. They're all interesting, they've all got relationships. I mean, Kane has got his his dead beloved, right? Uh, it's he's a tragic figure. This is really good stuff. Well, even I, even the poor old will we're going to well. So so uh, that so that is episode uh, one. There was a little bit of crossover, but um, we both chose different things, which is fine. That means there's lots to enjoy. Isn't that amazing? I had a guest on this podcast this is supposed to be a podcast of me just sitting at home watching doctor who but i'm fortunate that i reached out to andrew and he very kindly decided to to, to bestow his uh, insight and experience of working on this story uh, into this process which i hope you've therefore uh, benefited from and enjoyed that was part one of dragonfire i'm just gonna um stick my hand in the in the, near the whirring blades of the blender to add some random jeopardy to the end of this particular instalment uh, and let's hope that uh, <laughs> I get rescued before um, uh, uh, perishing because of my own baffling motivation uh, anyway that's the start of uh, the 150th Doctor Who story the end of part one of that thanks ever so much to my guest Andrew Cartmel who I haven't actually spoken to yet, um, but for your purposes, it's all rolled into one. Um, join me for the next instalment. Uh, but for now, thank you very much and uh, good night.
Thank you so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock. My special guest this time around is Andrew Cartmel, who can be found on Twitter at Andrew Cartmel and also online at venusianfrogbroth.blogspot.com. Venusianfrogbroth, all one word, dot blogspot where you can find him writing about all sorts of things and do check out his vinyl detective novels as well. Drinking milkshake with me at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock at the moment are Liam Price, James Miller, David Spofforth, Darren Ruel, Paul Cornell, David Hughes, Neil Tate, Richard Patey, Jonathan Potter, Nigel Bromley and Nick Tedstone. Thanks to them and to all my patrons. The music for this podcast is by Dave Gates. Uh, As mentioned, if you want to join those names, they're the latest people to have signed up at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock, where you get advanced releases plus extra and exclusive bonus material. Of course, times are tough and I understand that not everybody can do the monthly model, but if you want to support these podcasts in a one-off way, you can go to ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock. Anything, of course, is gratefully received, but mostly the fact that you listen is ice hot. Uh, And if you could give these a five-star review anywhere that you get your podcast, that really helps too, and it costs you nothing. Live comedy is coming back. My comedy club, XS Malarkey in Manchester, will be back hopefully from July the 13th, live in Manchester. But there is twitch.tv forward slash XS Malarkey that has the online shows until then, plus an archive of what we've been getting up to in lockdown. Bye.